Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk podcast show. I am Sultan Ghaznawi, your host, and today we will be covering my favorite subject. We will be talking about business development and the translation industry. It is an often misunderstood area of business, but probably the most crucial and critical in keeping a business alive and healthy. My guest today is Elizabeth Gomez-Jazowski. Elizabeth has more than 25 years of diversified management experience in sales, marketing, and operations within the publication and technical translation industry. She is currently Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Acute Solution Services and AI, a publication management and technical translation service provider, where she oversees a strategic planning, sales, and marketing strategy, as well as execution. Elizabeth has gained her executive business experience by serving in sales and management positions at various language service providers. Her current focus is on the ever-changing needs of multilingual publication content with fully integrated technology solutions in the global defense and securities industry. She also currently serves as president of Women in Defense Michigan Chapter, a nonprofit professional networking and development organization for women and men across Michigan who contribute to U.S. national defense and security. Hi, Elizabeth. But uh, welcome to the Translation Company Talk podcast show. Hi, Sultan. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor. Thank you. Well, uh, let me dive into the first question right away. Uh, please share with me how did you end up in this localization industry? Uh, I'm always curious and interested to know if it was by accident or by design. Well, as most of your other uh, podcast members, I actually have also uh, come into the localization industry by accident. It's quite a long story, but I'll make it short. Um, my college experience is actually in health education. Right. And so um, I was in uh, sales for a manufacturing company at the time that sold pressure switches and sensors. And uh, my father actually owned a small agency. And unfortunately, he took sick. And said, well, in order for this company to continue moving forward, you're going to need to come and work for me, which was quite a shell shock to me. And so uh, I did. I left my position at the manufacturing organization and I went to work for him. So uh, he told me, oh, I was going to work less and things were going to be so much easier. Well, let me just tell you, <laughs> that was not the case. <laughs> yeah, so, it doesn't work like that all the time. No, so it was definitely by accident. But it's it's been a great ride. It's been a little bit of a, a rocky road uh, for me due to some other uh, family issues that kind of arose along my path. But for sure, it has. It's I've made some great friends and built relationships around the world. So it's definitely uh, been great. Yeah, I mean, right now you're known in the industry and uh, there's quite a bit of respect and and uh, recognition for you in the industry. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the industry go through a lot of changes as well. How have these things changed since you came into the industry? What angles and vantage points have you had uh, throughout the years? Well, 
Now I'm going to age myself because if you take a look at some of the changes that have come into play in the industry, I remember my first Trados dongle. The dongle. I I still have it. (laughs) It reminds me of how far we've come as an industry. But there have been so many advances in technology and changes that have come into play. I mean, I just look back on it and I say, you know, some of the some of the things that we used to work on were all print material and it was on paper and we used to make changes on the paper. So uh, it's definitely not like that anymore. I, I even remember at, at the beginning when I first came into the office with my dad, I remember that the translators were up in an uproar thinking they were going to lose their jobs over the actual cat tools. So that's changed quite a bit now. And it, Obviously, the translators did not lose their jobs. So there have been a lot of changes. But I think as I came into the industry, I think I was very lucky because I had some different vantage points over the years to look at. So if you remember here in the beginning, I, I had mentioned that I was in sales within a manufacturing company and we built pressure switches and sensors. And I think that was a huge vantage point for me at the time, since we're uh, I'm located in the Detroit area and the focus was definitely in manufacturing. I think being on that manufacturing side really helped me to understand the customer's needs. It really put me in a position to know where the customer's pain points were. So it laid a great foundation for me, what was important to them and what I needed to provide in a value proposition. So I I think that was extremely critical uh, in my first couple of years within the industry, because I could truly understand where their pain points were. I see. And then actually the same thing held true for me down the road. I had to make a little bit of a modification in life uh, halfway through my career. I was, my father actually took ill, very ill and could no longer work within the company. So I took the company over and I was caring for my three small children as a single mom. So traveling and spending a ton of hours on the company wasn't possible for me. So I really was doing it at one point more in a part-time view. And um, then I would work in the evenings as a health educator at hospital because that's really what my background is in is health education and having that vantage point was also important because at my role at the hospital as a health educator gave me true insight as to what the hospital system's needs were and what was important to them which again takes me back to being able to provide a great value proposition and understanding what is so critical to a hospital team so as i kind of went through my career the those situations gave me more insight to understand, wow, I really need to know what my customers' issues are and what I need to be able to do to assist them long term. Okay. That gave you visibility to the healthcare system. It gave you visibility to manufacturing uh, industries. And so that means that you were able to apply your business skills with regards to translation services and so forth and, and see how they're applicable to these different industries uh, over time. Yes. What what were some of the interesting observations you had? Well, um, I think some of the interesting observations that I had, especially from the manufacturing sector, were uh, cost sensitivity, right? Because the pressure was 
so large for them uh, from from the top, right? So if you look at like a um, FCA, you look at GM, you know, you look at some of these larger uh, manufacturing agencies and you say, okay, you know, they're pushing down on their tier one suppliers and these tier one suppliers have to cut their prices, right? So it, it was important for me to understand how critical price was to them. But I also needed to understand that they needed things very quickly, you know, contracts, um, you know, manuals, all these things. And then, you know, to understand that customer experience, that user experience. So I think that helped me to position my organization to be able to understand what the needs were. And I think in having that sensitivity, it helped me to create relationships. Well, that's a good segue to uh, starting our conversation about today's main subject of discussion, which is business development. One of my favorite subjects in this industry. Tell me, how did you apply your business development skills uh, in these different situations? What is business development as it's quite misunderstood and so much and confused with sales? Yeah, that's a great question, Sultan. Well, if you look at the actual definition of business development, right, it's the activity of pursuing strategic opportunities for a business organization. And it could be could, could come in the form of cultivating partnerships or other relationships or maybe even identifying new markets for your products or your services, right? So that task means business strategy, strategic partnerships, you know, custom solutions. And I think that a lot of times when we talk about business development, we want to immediately think about sales, which truly it's not. So um, I think that definition, I think sometimes we really need to be able to go back to that and understand that really it's the development of business. And uh, so let, let's dig into that. How is business development carried out uh, in translation companies? I mean, we're interested in the context of our industry. Well, you know, again, if you go back to the true definition of business development, you need to think about your strategic your strategic sessions so that you can understand, you know, what markets do you want to develop? Uh, you know, what kind of strategic partnerships do you want to create? And, you know, I think that we've got some very large LSPs. Uh, you know, you talk about um, Moravia, you talk about, uh, you know, Lionbridge, talk about TransPerfect. Those organizations potentially probably look at... Uh, you know, uh, business development a little bit differently than a small to medium-sized LSP. I think with that being said, I think you, you, that strategy is developed by different types of people within a large organization versus a small organization. But I think mostly, I, th I think it's sitting down with that from a big LSP or a large LSP. You know, I think it's sitting down and taking a look with all those leadership roles and, and creating that plan. From a small to medium-sized LSP, I think it's more, you know, taking, you know, the business owner and your key people within the organization and putting together a plan. And I, I think, you know, we, we do have a lot of small to medium uh, LSPs around the world. And I, I think that it gets a little bit harder because I think some people don't really have that plan, that strategic vision uh, down pat. I think sometimes they don't make the time. They're very busy, so they don't make the time to review that on a yearly basis. But I think that's kind of how it's carried out in a translation company. So uh, another thing is uh, part of business development is uh what you are actually trying to develop, what services in our case you're trying to develop because we are a knowledge-based industry. 
So do you think that creating that offering, that core services that you are trying to sell, is that part of the business development strategy as well? Oh, yes, I agree with that. Yeah, I do think it is part of that business development strategy. Okay. Uh, and who is in charge of business development? It cannot be a salesperson's job to develop business in the context of, you know, the organization. A salesperson's job is to sell, which, in my opinion, is a part of business development. True. Um, when I, I think in this aspect, I think we need to look at it from two different lenses, right? When you talk about the actual development of business from a large LSP perspective, you, you see the dedicated personnel, such as VP of strategy, VP of partnerships, VP of alliances. There are a lot of people that have input into the development of business, right? A small to medium-sized LSP, it's going to look a little bit different. So I think that salespeople they, I think that small to medium businesses really do push salespeople into a little bit of this role where I don't believe that they should. I think that what, what really needs to happen is that from a small to medium sized LSP where you might have people wearing more than one hat, I think it's important that development of the business and the strategy come from the actual leadership team and, you know, the KPIs, you know, a review of the KPIs, review of financials, all of that is done. And then it's flowed down to the sales staff or to the, and for lack of better terms, the business development manager. Uh, if you take a look out on LinkedIn, you're going to find so many people in this industry in the you know, in the language service industry that have a business development role that truly are salespeople. So that gets a little confusing. And I, I do believe that it's really important that uh, we clearly define direction for a sales team, especially in small to medium LSPs. I think the leadership team at the top needs to flow that down and they need to provide the structure for that. And I, I think um, in one of your previous podcasts, Veronique Oskaya explained that in her discussion on customer-centric selling. She explained how important that structure was for the sales team. And I, I do believe that when talking about, uh, you know, who's in charge of business development and what it means to the, you know, translation company and how it's carried out. I think it's important to understand that the leadership team really needs to flow that down to those individuals in the organization. Okay. So just to reiterate, uh, it's the executives and the leadership in an organization that define business development or, or the goals basically for it, I guess. And then it's, it's the job of the sales and uh, probably even marketing people to put that together and, and, and develop an execution strategy. Is that what you're trying to say? Yes. Okay, perfect. So let's let's discuss the, the business development cycle. Um, for those of us that are not familiar with it, what is it and how often should it be reinvented? So from a business development cycle, so, you know, I think here is, you know, if you're looking at it from the perspective of, uh, you know, alignment of a seller's business development cycle. I think it's important to understand where the client is with, within the buying cycle. And a good way to do that is with open-ended questions and clarification of their knowledge so that you can understand exactly where they are. And it doesn't mean you need to reinvent it, but it, it helps you to understand where they're at and what knowledge they have. This way you can make an educated decision. Are they ready to buy? Or is there a way that you could provide better clarification 
for them and also help them to understand what it means. Uh, this can help you determine, you know, what phase you want to start at. And then, um, you know, the sales team can can kind of pick it up and close that sale to understanding, you know, where that's at. In a small LSP where, I, you know, I work in a medium-sized LSP and, you know, we don't have uh, we don't have as many people as you would think, like as TransPerfect does or Lionbridge, and, you know, that little bit of a funnel, as you might want to call it. You know, we, we have more of a sale, BD sales team. So it, it's a little bit different in that sense. But truly, you know, I don't think you need to reinvent yourself each time, but it's good to understand the client and where they're at, whether in the research phase or whether they're... It, you know, they're, they're identifying, you know, that they want, they're ready to sign a contract. They understand their need, you know, what needs they're looking for. And sometimes the client doesn't actually understand what they're looking for. You really have to engage and you have to really educate them. So. And I think that's where the, an overlap occurs between sales and marketing, because marketing's job is to educate people in a way to tell them who we are and what we do. And and sales job is to um, leverage that and, and, and close the deals. So um, with regards to the business development cycle, from what I'm hearing from you is that uh, you need to capture the client at um, at the right cycle and present the right solution to them. So if they are looking to be educated or they are somehow you understand that they want to learn or get information about you, marketing, uh, if you have a marketing department, should present that uh, education or that knowledge to them. And and if you identify that the client is and looking for an RFP, that means that they have done some research and they're ready to receive proposals. And uh, your sales team should be able to um, uh, take that opportunity and, and materialize it. I, is that how it works? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and what is the role of uh, planning in business development? Where do you start, and how does it look like when you do planning? Well, uh, this this is a little bit, you know. Um, like I said, I come from a small LSP, so this, I think this is more important from a small to medium-sized entity, is where you're clearly defining your strategy, your partnerships, your goals, and your activities, right? I think the plan, you know, you need to lay that out. You need to take a look where your strengths, you know, it's your SWOT analysis and, right. lo- you know, taking a look at where are your strengths, where are your weaknesses, and and then taking a look where your fit might be, and then where where, where do you want to be? Where do you want to go? And then, so if you think right. about the milestones and and you write those milestones down, and then I think one of the things, the role of planning is to assist you in getting to the milestones. And then also, if there are any, if there is anything that gets in the way, how are you going to react, right? What is going to be your solution? So, like a contingency. Right. What's your contingency plan if something gets in the way? And how will you provide a workaround for that, right? So the role that is, I think that's important when you're planning in business development. And I think that, you you know, once you have that strategic overview and then you have a contingency plan for anything that might get in the way, or maybe, you know, maybe there's a pandemic that comes right in the middle of your plan and you have to innovate and you have to kind of, uh, you know, take a look and say, okay, what's important here? What can I do? What can I do? And then reinvent. Absolutely. We are all in the business of creating value through knowledge, I guess. Uh, Part of developing businesses to communicate that very clearly 
Uh, I've asked this before from uh, Veronica Sky, as you mentioned her earlier, and, and Jessica Radke, who's uh, great with sales, sales uh, two of the great names in our industry. But let me ask you, too, how do we communicate the value of translation services to our potential clients? How do we convince them to believe in our words that the product that they cannot touch will be great into their satisfaction? Sultan, this is a very good question. This is selling the invisible, which is not the easiest task, right? It's not. It's uh, not. I will tell you, I've worked with Jessica Ratke for probably seven years now, and she's been a fantastic mentor. And her and I have done a lot of work in this area. She's uh, really helped me to grow. Uh, I, I went to her when I believe she first started out and we, we kind of put together a mentorship program and it was fantastic. She's really helped me to develop over the years. Let's face it, you know, people are not in love with translation. It's a means to an end. We're not thought of right away. We're kind of at the end of the cycle. Oh, Yes, I need to get this translated, right? So we need to articulate our value in a very different way. And a couple of things that I think are important that um, where, where we can convince people to believe in our words is in educating your customer about the knowledge you have, right? So it's so important, that education piece. And it's, it's really important to educate your customer about the knowledge you have about their industry and their organization. You really have to do your homework in this area to be able to help them and to convince them that you are going to be able to provide something to help them. So in order to, to do that, you really, you know, you have to be able to put together a great value proposition and you have to do your homework on your customer's customer. What problems are your customers trying or their trying to solve for their customer. And, and then, you know, thinking about that customer experience, that user experience. And I think, you know, in order to convince them, you have to share your experiences about other organizations that you've helped in their industry and how you've done it. And through that, I believe you're going to develop a genuine relationship that you can utilize in order to have, convince them that you can help them because you're sharing with them knowledge, experience, and relationship. So there's not a quick recipe where uh, business development uh, managers can use in order to um, communicate their value or what they're trying to to basically present to clients uh, as opposed to educating them. Well, I mean, I, yeah, no, I don't think anything's quick, to be honest with you, if, if, if you're going to create a relationship with substance. Right, right, right. right. You know, I think sales takes time. I, I think, you know, certainly there, certainly when there's a customer that has a need and sometimes that comes and they're looking for something right away and, and then obviously you can create a quick relationship and uh, but it's still providing knowledge yeah so the difference is between um, someone who knows what they're buying most likely they it's going to be a transactional um, deal basically where someone wants to have a document translated they know they go to the website and get it translated but if a BDM is working on a deal trying to educate a company that they need translation when they actually don't know that they need it it's going to take a lot of uh, time and energy, and that's why the sales cycle is too long, I guess, right? Right. The sales cycle is long. I wouldn't say it's too long. Obviously, we'd all like our sales cycles to be shorter, but I think that uh, it's much easier when you create the relationship uh, and and your, your education has assisted them be, 
and in making decisions, corporate decisions, because I, I think then, you know, if anything were to go wrong down the road, the relationship you built will help to I, to really kind of focus in and say, okay, well, let's work together to make this better, right? Um, I think it's always good to have that strong relationship so that if something does go wrong, it, it's, it's an easier fix in the end. Understood. Um, do you think as an industry, we are doing a good job in communicating our value to our content consumers? I, I think we could do a bit better job. Uh, I think that we, we, I think communicating our value in the respect of multi-market customer and user experience, I think is important. I, I don't know about you, but when I'm out in the different sectors and I don't, I don't look at just translation as a commodity buy. I look at it as a multi-market consumer experience, right? Where would right. we be, right? If we took a look at this and said, okay, we don't have any translation, where would we be on the internet? You know, who, who would buy if it, if it wasn't, you know, if it was all in English. So, you know, I think that it makes a huge difference. And I think that we can, we can meet, we can be more specific on, um, you know, some of these customer and user experiences and what translate, you know, how translation affects it. Uh, if you think about Expedia, TripAdvisor, the gaming industry, right? Um, the translation industry is critical to the success of those industries globally. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I couldn't uh, agree more on that. I think the value we are delivering, it's, uh, it's, it deserves a lot more appreciation. Um, there is a lot of buzz online across blogs and virtual events with regards to defining a niche for a language services company to be successful and to get out of that generalist mindset. Elizabeth, explain to me why that is important. Does it apply to every LSC and what is the role of this change in the business development? Well, you know, I have to say um, I'm very passionate about this. Uh, this is actually uh, how our organization has kind of changed our model a bit. So I think this is a hot topic and I believe having a niche is a huge advantage. I think that gaining your reputation as the best source for best practices in your customer's marketplace and industry in general allows you to stay relevant and valuable. And I think that it gains you access and face-to-face -face time more so than you could ever think. Being the best source for best practices is huge in developing relationships and having opportunities. So I think it's critical, honestly. So in order to develop a niche for your organization, tell me, where do you start? What do you look at? And how do you know that this is the right vertical for you to be selling to? So again, I think it goes back to your SWOT, looking at what your strengths and weaknesses are and evaluating that and looking at what industries you've had uh, the most experience in. And I, I think that you have to take a look at where your strengths are and um, capitalize on those strengths. And, and I believe that you need to be passionate in the area uh, that you're going to consider yourself an expert in. You know, my own experience has been uh, really that you have to define those strengths, look at what you've done in your past very carefully, and then also understanding if you need to create partnerships in that industry to be able to, to have that niche, right? And mm -hmm. then, 
you know, get yourself involved, understand everything about that industry. And you're going to become known as the answer person. And I think in that sense, you'll have so much more advantage than another LSP. Um, I have uh, I have another LSP that I'm really good friends with, and um, they actually did a lot in retail. And um, she actually went through and became an expert in store layout psychology and the impact that it has on purchasing patterns. And this gained her so much access to clients and it made her so valuable to her clients because she understood what they needed. And it it just opened the door for her in many different ways. So in that sense, she became a trusted advisor and an industry expert. And she really didn't have to go looking for business because it came to her. I understand. And and when we are talking about uh, developing a niche, uh, can you share with me uh, which niches your organization is active in and, and how is that performing? Um, so... Our, our niche is aerospace and defense. Uh, we're also, ha- we have two niches. So one is aerospace and defense and the other is healthcare. I, I think for us, it has, uh, it has really helped us to grow and spread our wings outside of just translation. I can honestly tell you that it's increased our revenue by a ton and it's put us into a different category altogether. So we created... Um, We took a client and we listened very carefully to our client's needs. And when we started to work with them, we quickly realized that they had many pain points and that they were struggling to actually be able to assist their client in what they needed to, to make the client happy. So we put our heads together and we created partnerships with other organizations in order to fulfill their pain points. And this has developed into a large relationship that has brought us into a a little bit different sector than translation. So it's given us more opportunity for revenue outside translation services. And I think I, I actually, and it was last night, I didn't get to read it, but I saw that Morningside was actually uh, rebranding Morningside Translations. And uh, I think that um, they've actually added outside services as well. So um, it really, it can produce other types of revenue for your organization in the end. And for us, it's it's been key. And I think that um, the way that we did that was exactly that, getting ourselves involved into the industry and learning everything about it and okay. doing the best that we could to understand all different types of areas in that industry. So basically you become a specialist uh, in that area and, and that opens up so many other doors for you. Oh, yes. Yes. I, I actually um, I started out with women in defense six years ago uh, and it. I have to tell you, this is sorry for the side story here, but it took me it it took me one year to get anyone to talk to me in this group. One year. I went to every single event. They must have had one event a month. And I just couldn't get anyone to to talk to me and to to befriend me and to kind of help me out. And um and that was here in, in the US. And Finally, there was a snowstorm and I was the only person that showed up. And so they had to talk to me. They had no other out. <laughs> and um, 
last night, I took over the presidency of Women in Defense uh, for the Michigan chapter. So congratulations. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this role. And it has helped me a great deal in creating relationships and creating trust and rapport within the industry. And it's made a huge difference in our sales. Huge difference. Well, congratulations to you on on, on, uh, running that chapter and at the same time for making great strides there with uh, with business development. Thank you. I, I'm, I look forward to it. And I have to say, uh, the one thing that I learned is you have to be passionate and you have to have interest and curiosity in whatever industry that you decide that you're going to have your niche in. Understood. Uh, well, thanks for that answer. That that was very, very informative. Changing gears a little bit here, Elizabeth, how has COVID-19 and the cultural shift of working from home affected how business development work is carried out now? Well, yes, COVID-19. Yes, this is interesting. I've heard a lot of uh, I've heard a lot of buzz about this, and uh, I'll tell you from my own personal experience. Uh, first and foremost, having only non face to face opportunity has changed business development for me, for sure. I think that um, it's been a changing landscape, and I think it's changing and creating different mindset, reinventing the way you connect with people. And then finding alternative venues to meet and build relationships. I actually uh, spent some time with a LinkedIn coach uh, to kind of develop some additional skills. And and I think that's important because right now, uh, from a global perspective, you know, there's very little travel, especially for folks in the U.S. So um, from a complete extrovert's point of view, it's quite challenging. And I think it's quite different on how our business development is carried out. I think some of it takes you back to having to pick up the phone and and contact people, but then it also is where, you know, maybe you need to be more comfortable with some new technology, uh, you know, some different type of networking and uh, some different types of trade shows. And then you have to evaluate what's working, what's not working, and how do I get better at it? I understand. And uh, how has it personally affected you with regards to how you do things um, for example in the past you were able to um, make a call to a client's office do you still use phone to make conversations with people or as you said earlier like you have a LinkedIn coach who shows you how to connect with them through LinkedIn is social media becoming more of a, a dominant uh, tool that you're using or email is another one or, or how, how have you personally changed your habits with regards to business development? Uh, well, I think one of the things that uh, I think uh, picking up the phone a lot more than I did before, I think that has truly been something that I, you know, I, I did a lot through email and I did a lot through, uh, you know, meeting people personally. And I think uh, going back to the phone, And uh, one of the challenges that I find with the phone is that a lot of people are not working within their office. So a lot of people are still working from home. So the challenge is trying to get to them, you know, on the phone because a lot of them are working, you know, uh, from their mobile phones. But definitely, uh, I think that uh, the phone has been critical for me. And then the other thing that has been super critical is uh, LinkedIn and Zoom. On that, uh, how this digital networking through LinkedIn and Zoom and online events as well, 
it's become much more acceptable this year. How has that affected business development? Like, especially for you, do you find it that it's 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 helped you do things quicker compared to before? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I think that um, because it's more acceptable to meet people via Zoom, I think it's made things go a bit quicker. Uh, I traveled probably two to three weeks out of the month for my organization. And since I don't do that now, um, I meet people via Zoom. And I think that the meetings are set up in a much quicker fashion. So I think that it's it's really kind of pushed things through a little bit further. However, you know, I think that one of the things that I'm, I'm still struggling with, and I don't, I'm not sure if this is something that other people in the industry struggle with, but it's trade shows, virtual right. trade shows. Um, and what seems to be the, the major problem with them for you in particular? Well, yeah, and I, I think it's a, a challenge. I think that when you, uh, when you have a booth at some of these virtual trade shows, people are not coming to the booth to find out about your organization they're coming to your booth to sell something so it's it's been a bit more of a challenge to really get to know your prospects through those booths at least for me so now i'm coming to the to the realization that maybe i need to revisit that and take a look and see where the value is and maybe position myself a little bit differently with trade shows. Maybe I, you know, maybe I'm more the attendee than I am the exhibitor. And so um, that's something that still is remains to be seen for me as to kind of how, how that can work a little bit better uh, down the road. Uh, I've attended several trade shows and conferences this year um, that, that basically dominate our, our industry. And normally we go to these physical events and we get to meet uh, industry colleagues and even clients and, and we build relationships and so on. But what I noticed is that trade these conferences and trade shows going online, obviously uh, the cost of going into them has dropped. So you don't pay for flights, you don't pay for hotel, and, and even the event fee has dropped from $1,000 to let's say a couple hundred bucks. Um, that opens these events up to everyone from everywhere in the world, basically, which is not a bad thing per se. But these, the feedback I'm getting is that most of these events deliver less value because everyone from all parts of the world are trying to sell versus allowing you to learn, network, and and uh, build relationships. Does that mean that um, these virtual events don't carry the same value as they did before? I'm going to say that I, I think it just becomes more difficult. I don't know that they don't carry the same value because sometimes the content is still really good. And then, uh, you know, the speakers and, and what you can learn from them are great. Uh, but I think from like the networking perspective and the relationship building, I think it's a little bit more challenging. And I, I can say I don't I can say that I, I don't someone said, will will this be the new norm is virtual trade shows? And I have to say, I don't think so. I don't think so, too. OK, yeah. well, Alison, let's uh, sorry. I called you Alison. I'm. That's okay. That's my mind. I'm so sorry about that. I'll, I'll edit this. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, I was speaking with Alison Furch from Gala in a previous episode, and she said that one of the challenges of our industry is that not many people know about who we are and uh, what we do. When approaching someone from outside the industry for prospecting, how is that creating a, a business development challenge uh, for you? Do you think the industry could do a better job to make it easier for us to, to uh, basically sell our products? 
you know, I, I don't necessarily think it creates a challenge because I think we're a critical component, as I said earlier, to any customer or user experience. I find our industry uh, extremely helpful in any type of global experience uh, or, or product or service. So I, I think... I think uh, that you need to have a different mindset in this case, but I do think our industry could do a better job. I, I see a lot of uh, emails that come in from people trying to sell us. And um, because we don't have translation in our name and sometimes people don't know exactly uh, what our organization is about, they'll try to sell us translations. And I feel as though that we could do a better job at creating value and um, sharing what our approach is for people outside this industry. I think if we can share that, you know, um, this multi-market customer experience is what we do, that that's what we assist in. I think that we, I don't think it should be a problem on a challenge for business development. I think we should be, you know, I think that we should direct ourselves in a little bit different way. And I think that we won't have any challenges. Okay. And uh, that that brings us to uh, something important. How do we differentiate? We talked about niches earlier. Uh, let's talk about differentiators. And uh, I had Paul Doherty on the show not too long ago. He's one of the experts in the area of customer service and, and localization industry. And he came on our show recently and he had strong opinions about customer service or lack thereof in our industry. Do you think this can become a differentiator if you were to improve your customer service or stand out somehow and affect business development in a positive way if someone, some companies focus more on customer service? Well, first and foremost, I want to tell you that podcast was fantastic. I really enjoyed uh, Paul's podcast with you. That was really great and informative and just really, really hit the nail on the head there. Uh, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, customer service is a differentiator as long as you position yourself well. And he shared a lot of great insight there. And I think a lot of it leads to proactive thought, right? A lot of that customer service is with proactive thought. I think it's important that we communicate well and we provide alternatives, understanding what the customer's needs are. And uh, he mentioned this in his podcast. And I think that even if they don't understand, we have to teach them and we have to be patient with our customers or our prospects, right? Because, uh, you know, I think that there is a bit of a knowledge gap and that sometimes they don't quite understand the implications. And I think that, you know, people think of translation as just, you know, changing words from one language to another. And that's not the case at all. There is a lot of thought that, that goes into it. And, and depending on the industry and depending on what you're working on, there's much more than that. I think that the customer service part comes in sharing knowledge, not just from your business development or sales team, but from your project management team. And I think Jessica Racky, uh, in your earlier podcast as well, she she talked about soft skills for, for the project managers. And I think that is extremely important, especially for customer service. And that comes with critical thinking and problem solving. And I, I think that it's extremely important. And I think that 
becomes part of customer service. You know, do you allow your customer to make a mistake culturally because you're just going to translate the material and not think about what they have written? Right, right, right. Right. I think that's a key. I think if you're working on something and your PM sees something that's not right, I think that's good customer service to go back to your client and say, look, I just want to share this with you. I think you need to review this, this, and this because it's going to have an effect culturally. So you're going going above and beyond your uh, call of duty, what you're asked to do. Absolutely. You you have to become their partner. And, you know, it's really interesting because yesterday, uh, I don't know if you were on the uh, women in localization segment uh, that they had. You missed it? It was, I only got to listen to half of it, but it was very insightful. And I thought they did a great job. The panel was amazing. And the gentleman from Dell Technologies, uh, one of the things that I took away was that you have as you need to be a partner. You need to have skin in our game if you want to be our vendor. And I think this is a big part of it is critical thinking and problem solving from your project managers. Well, one, one analogy that I normally use is a car dealership. I mean, um, it's quite far from what we do in our industry. But when you walk into a car dealership, if the receptionist uh, greets you with a smile and, and the salesperson um, comes in and, and wants to be just, uh, you know, a trusted advisor as opposed to someone pushing you to buy a car, you, uh, my experience is that you end up actually doing a transaction there, not just a transaction, you end up going there for service and, 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 and you trust the dealership over time and you probably recommend them to your family members as well. How can we replicate that experience in a translation company? Well, I think that, you know, the way that we could do that is by, is by listening, being very good listeners. I don't think it's just this industry, but I think a lot of salespeople, they they want to talk, 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 and they don't really want to listen. And I think it's important to listen, but to do it genuinely and to allow the customer to share. And I think, you know, it's kind of like the like the analogy that you just use about the car, right? You need to listen about what's important to your client and what their needs are, and then you can select the right vehicle for them. Right. If they tell you I have four children, you're not going to put them in a compact vehicle. Right. You're going to offer them a minivan or something like that. Right. An SUV. Right. Maging myself there. Um, But, you know, so I think that's critical is that you need to listen to to your client and then provide, you know, provide your knowledge and experience of what you've done for others. And I think that's where we're going to have people coming back. Because they know you're listening and that you're going to help them to try to solve their problem. They're not going to have to do it by themselves. Which brings me right into my next question about what translation companies are doing wrong with business development. What would you advise them to do? Not send emails with uh, spelling mistakes. True. (laughs) That's the first thing I'd advise. Um, I I think the first one that I think is... uh, critical is to ask questions, but to take the time to genuinely listen, as I just mentioned. And um, I think uh, uh, something else we can do is understanding the prospect's role within their own organization and make them successful. How can you help them with their job and their role within their organization? And that comes from asking yourself a lot of critical questions about your prospect in their role. You know, what gets in the way? What are the effects of outside effects? What are the internal effects for them? You know, and that takes a little bit of time and energy. And I will not tell you that that's easy. It is not. Uh, But I think that that's something that uh, 
we need to do a better job of. And then understand your customer's customer, right? So I have a a large client now. And um, one of the key things I think to our relationship is that they weren't really listening to their customer, but they had brought me along on this trip. In listening to their customer, I understood that there were some issues that my customer was not tending to. But in learning about that, I was able to provide my customer a solution to assist in their pain point. And it has, it, and, and like I said earlier, it snowballed into lots of other areas of revenue. So I think if you really think about what is my customer's customer experiencing and how can I help my customer achieve what they need to for their own customer, you're going to be so valuable to them that they won't even look at anyone else. They won't entertain anyone else. That's a, that's a very, very important point that you just uh, brought up, Elizabeth. I think part of business development is to understand the customer's need and mindset. Uh, and you just uh, gave us a very good example. You have to get into your customer's shoes and, and understand what keeps them up at night. Not yeah. literally. I mean, what what's bothering them most of the time? I don't think a customer is worried about quality of uh, their product in terms of translation as much as they're worried about receiving the work on time. Uh, At the end of the day, it's also about what makes them stand out in the mind of their customer. What do you have to say about that? How do you do this type of needs assessment? Well, I think that comes with the part of a core discovery conversation uh, with your client and and defining their expectations, right? I I think that you really need to understand what they're looking for. And and that comes with that discovery conversation. You know, it's... some clients are focused more on speed. Some are focused more on quality. You know, it's really all about, you know, do you want a Ford Focus or, or, or would you like a Mercedes Benz, you know, and, and then developing a strategy around that, you know, and I, I look at our, the translation process as more of a strategy than I do like a commodity, right? Because what we're doing is helping our customers, you know, sell their product or, or service and, um, focusing in on their objectives and providing insight. And I think that's how you can, you know, I think that's how you can really understand what you need to help them with. And I think that's where having built a relationship with the client and managing their their expectations around different areas is integral into, into that long-term uh, business, you know, partnership. Absolutely. Do, do you think... There is a difference in how business development between large and uh, small uh, translation companies, uh, you know, happens. Do do you see that they have different uh, type of approaches and uh, does size of an organization allow agility and flexibility to adapt into a changing business environment? Uh, Yeah, I, I believe there is quite a bit of a difference in how business development is executed between large and small LSPs. When you take a deep dive into it, there are advantages and disadvantages to both, right? A large LSP may have quite a bit more staff, intensive training, marketing, lead generation, but it might take longer to get through different layers of management if something needs to change. 
So I, I think that both have positive, you know, like advantages and disadvantages, right? However, if you think about it, a small LSP has a lot of flexibility that the large LSP doesn't. They might be able to offer an innovative idea that might not be able to get through some of the channels or red tape in a large LSP. They may be offer they may be able to offer flexibility in pricing or process to meet some of the customers' needs, and then change on the dime in a changing environment. Uh, but an LSP might be able to offer a more complex technology solution than than a small LSP. So I think I think they're that you know they're each one has its own way to adapt. Uh, in a changing business environment. But I think there's positive and negatives on both sides, and I think both can be extremely successful. Understood. So uh, a lot of uh, LSP executives are probably listening here, and and this is an important question. Should we look at why someone should do business with my company? Is that a question that business development leaders uh, must answer to shape their strategy and everything around it? So I think it's a key question, and it goes back to about to what we talked about earlier, the trusted advisor, industry knowledge and expertise, right? Um, a large LSP can throw, you know, a lot of money at that. Where a small LSP can't, but there's ways that small LSPs can do that and medium LSPs can do that. So when you're putting together your strategy, you need to look at the key buyers and evaluate their profile carefully to make sure that you, you know, you can match up to that, that you can do what you say you're going to do. And I think that's that's a key. You always have to be able to do what you say you're going to do. Deliver. Um, oh, yeah, that that is key. I mean, if you don't deliver people will not trust you. And let me tell you, and it's it's the same with anything, right? If, right. if you build a product and, and, and it doesn't work, that's going to go around a lot faster than if you build a product and it works. Yeah, negative so. publicity, it moves around pretty quickly. <laughs> yes. So it, it might, it, it, it's easier to determine how you can help them to accomplish their goals and objectives and find your differentiator if you, you spend the time, you know, really saying, asking yourself the question, why does someone want to do business with me? And targeting your strategy around that. Uh, I think we don't do a good job in speaking uh, our customers' language. We go in front of our customers or clients and, and start talking about uh, cat tools, about TMS and MT and so on. If my client is in a specific industry or sector, they have their own lingo and lexicon and the corporate speak and whatever. Does business development take these types of nuances and, and small details into consideration? I would say there are a lot that don't, but I think you need to. If right, you right. don't take those things into consideration, you're going to have a hard time in building a rapport with your customer. Because remember, you're... You're the expert as an LSP in translation or an in interpretation. You're the expert. They need to rely on you. So if you start talking about CAD tools, TMS, MT, and so on, uh, they're going to be like a deer in headlights. So you really need to you really need to work around and dummy down those things, and then use their lingo and their lexicons to show them how it all works. So you want to become their partner, not their vendor. So becoming their partner, you have to find a way to help them to understand CAT tools, TMS, MT, those types of things, but in their own terms. Right, right, right. And and that presents a challenge because not many people are familiar with the, the, the language spoken in every industry or every niche. So that's why I guess 
back to our uh, conversation earlier, you need to define a nation and get good at it. Right, right. And then you, you and and when you do that, your value prop is very easy to write and and to share because right. you're passionate about about what you're doing to help them. So it's no longer difficult to have a value prop. Understood. Well, Elizabeth, unfortunately, we are at the end of this episode time-wise. Let me ask you the last question. How do people get in touch with you to discuss these topics we covered today or to discuss business opportunities? So they can reach me um, at AccuSolution Services. And um, my email is Elizabeth with a Z or Z at AccuSolutionServices.com. Or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Elizabeth Gomez. And um, I'm happy to connect, happy to share my thoughts and um, truly thank you so much for having me on this podcast I really enjoyed that thank you for your time Elizabeth I know you're very busy and it means a lot to take time out of your schedule and share your experience with us here I hope we can have this conversation to continue into the future and have you again on the show to discuss about specific areas in business development and and one of our subsequent uh, episodes again thank you very much thank you Sultan I appreciate it as usual, I will review three products today and these products are relevant and applicable to language companies or people working there. Today I will be comparing the top three cloud computing providers for language companies. First on my list is AWS or Amazon Web Services, which is the dominant provider in this segment. They claim to be the most comprehensive and broadly adopted cloud platform offering over 175 fully featured services from data centers spread around the globe. While not the cheapest in the class, they are the leaders in the serverless technology, rapid deployment of virtual machines and so on. If you are starting a new technology solution in your company, this may be a great place to start. I give AWS 9 out of 10 for the quality and value. Second on my list is Google Cloud. Given how lucrative and profitable this segment is, Google has also a strong foothold in the cloud landscape. They claim to be providing compute, storage, and on-demand serverless services to companies of all sizes and in all industries. While not as big as AWS, they do offer similar pricing and plans. They also have a free tier where you could experiment and use Google Cloud on a trial basis. I would give them a 9 out of 10 as well. Microsoft Azure is the third cloud service provider on my list today. It is Microsoft's solution in the cloud space. While it is comparable to Google and AWS, Azure has a Microsoft look and feel and one quickly realizes that they are in the Windows world. Of course, their cloud system is open to Linux and all the popular technologies out there. They also have a free tier pricing but I found their interface somewhat convoluted and complex to navigate. The technology behind it is very robust and advanced. They also offer compute, storage, and even more. I would give them a 9 out of 10 as well. Okay, that was an interesting conversation with Elizabeth Gomez today. She is a phenomenal business developer, and I think she has exceptional skills when it comes to building relationships, as I've known her for a long time, and I can speak to that. I hope you were able to walk away with some tips that you could apply to your business and make positive changes. As as always please keep your feedback and comments coming and make sure to subscribe to the translation company talk on itunes google podcasts spotify or your favorite platform until next time